Hello, I am Dr. Kathleen Hall, and this is The Way I See It. Today, we're going to talk about how to create a happier brain, because you can actually change your brain. We've got great science that show it, and uh, people want to be happier, especially coming out of the pandemic and maybe realize their life has been in a rut, whether it was a relationship, whether it was a job, whether it was just you know, like Groundhog Day, waking up over and over again, doing the same thing over and over. So what I did was I remembered that in my first book, A Life in Balance, Nourishing the Four Roots of True Happiness, that I had a lot of good fodder in there for um, how to achieve happiness, how to live in happiness, and how to actually, instead of it being an object or something you go after, like a ball or some sport, that it actually is infused into every cell of your body. So, um, and by the way, we're wired for happiness, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So it's not something that the few and uh, far between have, which is kind of the way I was raised. Um, and and even looking at my book before I began, and, and again, I'm going to talk about some notes I have from that. Um, I realized that, see, people like me that grew up with a mother and father, who my mother was the more very, very good, good person, wonderful, saying, uh, you know, I just don't know how to tell you, told us stories, just a really, but a very conflicted person. And so when I watched her growing up, I went, wow, why would she stay in this awful marriage and do all these things? It was like a duty thing. And so I really felt that she kind of put her toe in the lake of happiness, but she was never immersed in it. She was almost afraid that something might happen if she became really, really happy. So I didn't want to be like her. <clears throat> and then my father uh, was very driven. So I saw him make these big business deals or come home after uh, something successful or he'd, um, you know, veteran, he'd go play cards or they'd go do something together. He'd come home and act happy. And I went, but it's, it's like, again, these little um, islands in an ocean of happiness that not the ocean, the islands were the happiness. So I, I was so confused about, okay, it's a destination, right? But then if it's a destination, it's very fleeting. So you better grab it while you have it. So it was a, it was a, a very, um, disillusioning, but, but it was like, I knew it when I felt it. So anyway, let's, let's, um, I'm going to talk today about some, I think, wonderful, uh, things that I have in my book, um, that I wrote a very long time ago, but, uh, it, like all eternal truths, I believe are more relevant maybe today than even back then. But the fruits of a life committed to happiness are, you know, authentic life. We talk about an authentic life, a life having meaning, and you having enthusiasm, inspiration, passion. These are where the great Disney people are people that really, um, they, they don't, I don't think they go to achieve the happiness. Their creativity, their courage, their honesty, their authenticity. These are the fountains. These are the springs like under the ground that bubble up. This is what happens. And happiness is choosing that path. And there, of course, there's going to be suffering. We're human. And therefore, we... Um, have the conditions we have to live and survive under. Uh, there's going to be suffering, accidents, griefs, losses, diseases, and that's woven together with laughter and pleasure and joy. So life stops being a roller coaster of ups and downs, which mine was because I kept trying 
trying to, I don't know, it was like chasing a ghost. I'd, I'd get it, whether it was being at the 104th floor of the World Trade Center or my new Mercedes or, I don't know, the, you know, my two children or my child becoming a physician and being at her medical school graduation. You know, it, it was um, it was these fleeting things and then this, not an emptiness after, but more of a, huh, what is this? More of a curious, what, what is this? So um, anyway, this is a, a compiling of, of what I believe I've learned in my very long life. Remember, happiness requires disciplines and practices. I, I really believe this. You practice it uh, just like a discipline. So, you, you know, just like you get up and brush your teeth and you do certain things and you eat healthy food, you know, to um, when you're driving your car, there are certain laws and regulations. I believe the same thing happens with happiness. It's achieved by an inner discipline. And you cultivate positive states of mind. And you, you know, you become aware of when your brain goes to these negative states. Because it's this negative states of mind that cause the chronic fear that leads into anger and pessimism and hate and depression and all of these things. And please, especially now with the era of, of the universe, the earth, uh, where we're living in these days with all of these conspiracy theories and this, I call it insanity, instability, it's being driven Fear of vaccine, fear of not trusting politicians, fear of not trusting each other. Um, and everyone is the other. You're either one side or the other. Uh, there it can never, ever be happiness within yourself and in a community as long as we continue living this way. So we really do need a fresh perspective on life. And when we do, we're going to look at each other, look at ourselves, look at our futures, everything will change. But I really, really believe the first step is we need to talk about the difference in happiness and pleasure. We traditionally believe we can find happiness in perfectionism or consumerism going to Amazon and buying some new thing or thinner bodies. Dear God, the pandemic almost of anorexia and Instagram and everybody looking at everybody's thinner, stronger bodies, younger bodies, more money, status, power, being a big icon, being an influencer. Maybe somebody you um, has more possessions than you do, success. Maybe even a new spouse uh, or trying to be smarter than everybody else. God knows I spent most of my life doing this. You can't buy happiness with any of that. So we confuse happiness with pleasure. We live our lives moving from satisfying one pleasure to another. You can't find happiness, and I call this in a pleasure prison. Pleasure is short-lived. Pleasure is temporary. Happiness is sustainable. It's in every, every time your heart beats. It bloom, bloom. Your blood pressure moving through your body. That is a sustainable way to live. Pleasure is an event. It's a moment in time. Whereas you can't, and you can't find happiness through seeking only pleasure. Pleasure can be seductive, especially in the days when times we're living now, where you can go online and whether it's seeing a video that, you know, is very, gives you lots of pleasure, whether it's pornography, whether it's buying something new, our pleasure-seeking obsession is destroying our mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. 
And again, we're searching for pleasure in social media, smoking, drinking, vaping now with all these different flavors. How about sex? I mean, have you seen a, a lot of the new shows lately? How about video games? My God. I mean, I had no idea how much time people are spending on video games. And watching, uh, binging all the time, watching television, all of these things waste our very short lives. And I promise you, they're pretty short. I'm at the other end of the spectrum, and I can tell you that it's like trying to hold water between your fingers. You will look up and see, wow, why didn't I make this decision? That's why I hope now you can go, hmm, I deserve more than this. This is really what I want. But many of us furiously are chasing pleasure. And again, it's unsatisfying, fleeting. It's like climbing the next highest mountain, riding the next wave. I used to be a surfer, only to experience another high in our pleasure center of our brain. Remember, there is a pleasure center in our brain. Whatever our pleasure is, it can be addictive. And again, eating, working, shopping, anything, okay? All of it. The code name is pleasure, and it's disguised as true happiness. But remember, as the Buddhists say, this is an illusion, just as so many of the ghosts we continue to chase in our life, okay? Just stop chasing your pleasurable experiences. Okay, seeking and experience pleasure in itself is a dead end. So for an example, when I drive with my convertible top down and I'm going up to the farm and I'm looking at the stars and the winds in my face, I, I don't even know if I can get much more pleasure than that, except, but I do. I do when I'm with my dogs. I do um, when I smell my horse or I'm on the back of my horse, um, just racing through the trees. Uh, in the forest, and um, and then she jumps a creek. I don't know. That's about as pleasurable and happy as, as it, I can possibly be, seriously. But it's tragic how many patients and clients I've seen through the years, whether they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, that are really, really unhappy, but they've had enormous uh, staccato pleasures all through their life. They move from house to house, job to job, diet to diet, wardrobe to wardrobe, uh, relationship to relationship, you name it. And they show up on my chair or couch in front of me and are trying to find their way to what really happiness is. But it's, it's a proactive way of living. It's a decision. Um, and so let's talk about true happiness is sustainable. Pleasure isn't. Okay, think about this. I got off the horse and then the pleasure was over. I got out of the car, my car with the top down to put the keys away. Do you see the difference? True happiness is sustainable. And the sustainability of our planet, of course, right now is a formidable topic. So just like we can't keep taking oil and coal and gas out of our bruised earth in perpetuity, we can't do it for ourselves either. We can't keep poisoning our atmosphere, our air, our water without consequences. So sustainability means keeping things in existence in balance, nourishing it, supporting it. So I believe our definition of happiness in our current world is not sustainable, and, and it really isn't balanced. And here's some reasons. Okay, what I've done is I've juxtaposed what I believe the current feeling about what happiness is and what I believe happiness is. So first is bondage versus freedom. When the benchmarks of happiness are wealth and power and status and beauty and all these fleeting things, you become in bondage 
in, in a state of subjection to the influence or power, whatever it is. And for an example, at my stage of life, I have all of these friends that are getting, and this is not saying anything negative, but chin tucks, then they're just going to do one thing, then it's eyes, then it's ears, then it's neck, and everything else. And so then, 10 years later, everything starts sagging again, so it's like being on a treadmill. Diets. How many diets have you been on? I mean, good Lord. I can't even name the diets I've been on. And if I had a dollar for every amount of uh, money that I've spent on clothes to make me look thinner, prettier, Again, none of this is bad in balance, but we can become a bondage to it, in bondage to it. Bondage is your life being controlled from some force outside of yourself. You can never be free when you're always worrying and maintaining and growing your wealth, your beauty, whatever it is, building your business every single day. You have to tirelessly check how much power, checking account, what you look like every day. It's exhausting. Maintaining all of this is, becomes a chore. And finally, you realize exterior beauty ebbs and flows. Everything, just like the ocean, just like the wind, the weather, the seasons, everything ebbs and flows. So true happiness, okay, that's bondage. True happiness is when you feel free. You experience the freedom of choice when you're living from the inside out, okay? Think about this. You're living from the inside out, and in bondage, you're living from the outside in. So freedom, this is sustainable. You experience the freedom of choice. You're allowing yourself to be defined by your own benchmarks of what makes you happy. Listening to your own inner voice, trusting your choices that will lead you to happiness. That's what it is. So it is, next is scarcity versus abundance. Sadly enough, most of us have distorted happiness, um, uh, lessons on happiness. I was one of them. Our experiences, we think that happiness is scarce. It's a, it's a rare experience. We believe attaining true happiness is like winning the lottery or you're lucky enough to win. I remember sitting in mass, I grew up Catholic, and looking over at um, little girls that, that had beautiful dresses on or um, very attractive women that were married to uh, maybe a doctor in the community or a lawyer or whatever and looking over at them and sitting on the other side of the pews and going, wow, they are so lucky. Look, wow, someday I'm going to really work hard. So I remember even thinking about lucky. I wonder how they did it. How? So, and, and some of us believe in works righteousness. It becomes a theology. I'll work, I'll work, I'll work. Tomorrow I will be. Next year, 10 years, I have a 10-year plan. I have a 20-year plan. Hmm. But looking around the world right now, I don't know. It seems like lots of times happiness is in short supply. Um, but, but that's because we bought into a belief system that teaches us, teaches us happiness is as scarce as hen's teeth. Happiness is scarce because few of us intentionally choose it. We wait for it to happen. I remember growing up in a small town and seeing different older people going around and, and coming home and going, us talking, mother and I was talking, or my grandmother saying, she is so happy living in a simple house, simple shoes, simple clothes, walking to the post office, getting an ice cream. They were happy. It's an energy. It's a cadence. It's a rhythm. And again, scarcity Okay, do you think happiness is scarce and the things to do it are scarce, like money, beauty, whatever? Or is it abundance? 
that you look at a bird, you look at a dog, they look at a flower opening in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's abundance. Okay, next is, is it fear-driven or trust versus trust-driven? Well, of course, it's fear-driven. I mean, a, a, a child of fear is worry. And we, we have a, become a world of warriors and fear-driven individuals. Again, look at our elections. Look at our country right now. Look at Facebook, Instagram, what we're doing around the world. Good Lord. All these people would not be in these cults and in all these things. You know, look at politics, COVID vaccine, QAnon, innumerable others. I could go on and on. These are fear-driven people. These are warriors. Oh, my God, they're going to get me that shot. What's in it? Oh, my God, they're going to track me. Politics. Oh, if we get somebody else in there, I'm uh, uh, on. I mean, all of these very dangerous, sad, sad groups have been driven by and infected by fear. So it's fear-driven instead of trust-driven. True happiness is a lifestyle where you trust life. You trust life is good. There's a purpose for you. There's a purpose for your life. And in every circumstance, you're learning. It's a classroom. A happy life is having confidence that everything in your life is happening for a purpose. And your life is a classroom and not a prison. It's not a prison. Next is rigid versus flexible. I mean, true happiness, I mean, in living a life in balance, requires flexibility. Think of a person on a balance beam or a high wire. It requires flexibility. And look at divers, anything like this. It's, it's just amazing. Look at, and if you're a football player, even if you're the head of a corporation, flexibility of the brain and of your life, okay, is what causes happiness, not being rigid, okay? Life is not an algorithm for happiness, okay? Um, and again, some conservative religions, some ways we've been brought up, like X and Y equals Z, whatever it is, it's flexible, it's dynamic, it's growth. It's not me telling you, you can't do this with your body, you can do this. I know what's right for you. Rigid, rigid. I don't know many really, really happy people that are rigid. It's the flexible, the ebb and flow people. And the next is com competition versus cooperation. I mean, look at our country, sports, school, grades, popularity, likes, followers, influencers. Some are, some aren't. Social media, competition. Our country was based and grew on competition. We live, eat, and breathe competition. You compete, you win, and you that's your experience of happiness. Now, I recently heard actor Morgan Freeman interviewed he was asked how much happier he was since he won the Academy Award. And the actor replied, I was living a life of happiness way before I won the Academy Award. He said, I'm living the same life now after that Academy Award. My Academy Award sits on a shelf as a sign of an accomplishment of an event. But it has no bearing on the happiness of my life. Morgan Freeman knows the real competition is the one within yourself, the goal of always learning, improving. For him, it was his acting skills. It may be your surgical skills. It may be your teaching skills, your mothering skills, whatever it is at work, being a better friend. If you can believe in competing, it's exhausting. It's an exhausting life. I did it. I did it in the money business. Oh my God. 
talk about exhausting. I did it with the the even other women because back then when I was, you know, in the money business and there were very few women, I felt like I was competing against them to be. It's an exhausting life. So we live in a world of competing products. We compete for weapons to kill each other. We compete for national res I mean, natural resources. Okay, but the world's become smaller with globalization and scarcity of natural resources, pandemics. So look, an era of cooperation of, across borders has been born, has been born. And isn't it interesting with COVID, global pandemic, everything is saying economies, what happened with the supply chain. Now we have to cooperate, but isn't it interesting what raises its head? These conspiracy theories, the anti, I won't take COVID vaccine, I won't do this. It's interesting. We are very interesting, complex human beings. So the first thing that happened is our dark side shows up. I don't trust this. I'm afraid of you. I'm competing against you. Instead of, hey, let's hold hands, sing kumbaya and go, we can, two heads are better than one. Three hearts are better than one. Um, it'll take four of us to lift this heavy weight. Okay, competition, which is the old way the earth, and look what we've done to each other, world wars, and look what we've done to each other on every, every framework. And now it's cooperation, the womb of cooperation, the womb of divine energy. Okay, a plant in the ground can't grow. I just planted flowers. They can't grow without their root system loving that earth and cooperating with it and cooperating with the rain that comes down and it needs the water. And then, hey, how about when it opens in the morning and looks at that sun? That's all cooperation. Nature is cooperation. Okay? It's cooperation. It's love. And then high cost and low cost. We spend so much amount of money changing, chasing happiness. I mean, new houses, new cars, new neighborhoods, new shoes, new TV sets, new exotic vacations, changing jobs. We can't experience happiness outside of ourselves which is what we keep saying. True happiness has no cost. It's a condition of your brain and your soul and your heart. Okay, we have lots of research that shows wealth has nothing to do with your happiness. Next, individual versus community. We come out of a whole individualistic culture, especially in the United States. The myths of rugged individualism. God, I was, whew, I grew up in this one. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. We see these people, these icons. I'm going to be him or her or it. I'm going to discover a cure for cancer. I'm going to do this. I, 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 I. It's like a record. Those of us that are old enough to have those 78 and 45 and 33 and a third records. And you take the needle and turn it off and it slows down and down. And to me, that's what individualism has done. Doesn't work. Denmark, old paradigm, the new paradigm of happiness. Rest is seated and lives in community, okay? It's got to be. Saving the world, the only way we can save each other and save the world is realizing the tremendous synergy of community. Isolation kills, community heals. Dean Orner said that. So uh, community uh, my neighbor, my sister, my friends I'm going to meet tonight, they have different perspectives, and it's going to make me grow. It's going to make I sit on boards at that community. It changes the whole way we approach a real problem. Next is future versus pre present. 
Most of us keep working harder and waiting for that day. We're going to wake up and be happy. Okay. It's going to happen when my kids get in the right school or when they make grades or they become great jocks or they go to Duke or Harvard or wherever they have. And believe me, mine have done all that. And I got news for you. <laughs> uh, it's a treadmill because it just doesn't make you happy and you live for the future. Um, the mantras of our modern culture are the right, I'm going to wait for, marry the right person, be with the right person, get the right job, lose that weight, make more money. Do you want me to go on? Um, that's future, 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 future. But all great spiritualities and religions say true happiness is right now in the present moment. You don't wait for anybody or anything. You don't go within right now. Take a breath, connect, experience. And believe that you deserve true happiness. And it is right now. Whew. Let me tell you. So that is what it is. And there's a science of happiness. Okay? And you need to know that we have studied the science of optimism and pessimism. We're actually wired for happiness. Yep. We're hardwired for it. Researchers believe that 50 to 70% of our happiness and optimism come from our genes. Can you believe that? We are actually, it's an it's a, it's a adaptation or survival mechanism is optimism. Think about it. If you're sitting there and looking at a hill off and, and you're starving to death or you hear a noise, your optimism, I'm going to climb that. I'm going to get that food. I'm going to swim that lake. If we didn't have it in our genes, 50 to 70%, you wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here. Okay, so that's the one part. It's in us. So don't think, oh, it's so rare. Rare as hen's teeth. No. And guess what? Abraham Lincoln said this. Here's the other side. Okay, so it's it's nature and nurture. Okay, so nature, yeah. We, we got the genes, 50 to 70%. But Abraham Lincoln knew that the choices we make influence our happiness when he said, through my life, I've noticed most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And he was right. That was 150 years ago. Happiness is also a physical state of the brain. We are happy. When we're happy, our brain produces neurochemicals. They result us in wanting to eat, have sex, sing a song. And most researchers study the effect of these neurochemicals. They measure them with fMRIs, which is functional magnetic resonance imaging. They record blood flow in all parts of the brain or EEGs, which monitor electrical activity. Okay. So we do all of these things so we can actually study, okay, happiness and that the practices you do actually do make you happy. So they found that people live longer that are happy. They have 50% more antibodies in response to flu vaccines. Um, they live longer. A recent study showed optimistic individuals um, reduced their risk of death by 50% over a nine-year study. Okay? Optimism. Op that happiness. It's a practice. It's a practice. So here's some tips, simple tips, that have, I've gathered from science, research, and people. I mean, I've been very, 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 very blessed whether it's the Dalai Lama, Jimmy Carter, Desmond Tutu, um, Houston Smith, just amazing presidents, which I won't mention names. People that are really happy, though, really. 
and monks and grandmas um, because I've been fascinated with this topic. And these are the basic tenets which they say are, are how to have a happier life, okay? So let me see how many of them there are. There's 10. So let's go through these quickly. First is an attitude of gratitude. Be grateful for everything. Like when you wake up in the morning, I was just thanking my heart and my little blood cells and eyes for opening up and ears for listening um, and opening up to the world. Wake up and be grateful. Go over every part of your body and do a body scan. And because studies tell us daily gratitude exercises result in unbelievable health outcomes and happiness. Set your timer on your phone and every four hours have it ding or whatever you want to set it to, a chirping bird, I don't care what it is, and just say what you're, look around you, wherever you are, if you're in an office, if you're in, by a tree, if you're in your car, I don't care where you are, and just think, go around, thank your heart and your insides, and look around and thank you for the person sitting beside you, the yellow wall beside you, the sun on your face, whatever it is, okay, attitude of gratitude, and what it does is immediately, every neurochemical is changing, the minute you do that exercise, by the way, choice, Second, every moment of our lives is a choice, okay? So this is where once you develop more awareness, greater awareness, which is where mindfulness and meditation and all that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful taproot comes in, you become more aware of, ooh, I'm acting hateful, or I gave that person a dirty look, all those kinds of things, awareness. Then you make choices. Three is being proactive. Stop being a victim of your life. I am so sick of this. So many people, if you only knew what I lived through, if you only knew what happened to me, okay? Okay, I know, but guess what? This is life, and this is what happens. Create a plan with your passion and live in a proactive manner, okay? Be proactive. Don't be a victim. There's two ways to live, proactive and happy, or be the victim of your life. Next is smiling. Learned this one from the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh, two of my teachers. They are adamant that a smile is the first step to a life of mental, physical, and spiritual health and well-being. They say begin a practice of smiling, and it'll shift everybody around you. Okay, go to Publix, go to Kroger, go to your grocery store, and just smile. Costco, I don't care where you are. Just smile all the way through it. Watch what happens to every single person that runs into you. I really mean it. I don't care how sour they look or whatever. It is a spiritual practice, and also scientific studies show us facial expressions tell us what other people are thinking. And by the way, you release serotonin, endorphins, and all these unbelievable things more than non-smilers. Is that cool? Okay. So smiling has biological, physical, and psychological effects. Do it as a spiritual practice. Okay. Sometimes I drive all the way to aerobics, water aerobics, and just smile all the way down there just as a practice to be smiling. I don't know, just to do it. Um, five is laughter. Laugh as often as possible. Healing, hormones, endorphins, natural painkillers, they all get released when you smile. I mean, when you laugh. Laughter lowers your blood pressure, reduces stress hormones, boosts your immune system. We call laughter the um, aerobic exercise of the heart and the brain. And it, it is laughter, just simple laughter. Okay, laugh at something. Uh, six is playfulness. Please be playful. Reestablish your childlike qualities. Science tells us when we play, it increases our immune cells to our bodies, combats diseases, and playfulness increases your creativity and just your whole being. Think of playful people you know. And that's also why I keep dogs around. I have a cat. She's not real playful. She's a little nasty little witch. I adore her, but she's not playful. Now, 
my Jack Russells are playful. So when I get in a bad place, I either get a ball or I lay on the floor, and within seconds, I'm playing. Okay, so playfulness. Seven is your health. Don't underestimate your body's is your greatest asset. This is what's going to provide the foundation for your life, okay? So uh, try to keep your body healthy. What you eat, you know this, what you eat, exercising, all those other things. Mental and physical health, okay? Mental. So mental health too. If you need help, now you can. don't have to take off work. You can just go to, um, now you can just go online and get anything you need. But please, don't forget your mental health. Uh, a critical one for me too, uh, uh, the taproot. The number first I should have put it first was spirituality too. Um, happy people develop spiritual practices. They do. It's just a fact. Uh, meditation, walking, uh, an altar, uh, positive affirmations. Uh, what a huge spiritual practice. Okay, kindness, uh, all kinds of things. Please develop your spiritual practices. That's. Very, very important. That will sustain you and grow you through your life, through ups and downs, losses, deaths, illness, spiritual practices. Nine is altruism and philanthropy. A generous soul lives an abundant life. It's true. And altruism, giving, uh, regulates negative emotions. And it affects your immune system, your endocrine and cardiovascular system. We have something called helper's high, which makes your body, mind, and soul produce these unbelievable hormones that are healthy. We were meant to give. And again, it doesn't just, yeah, I give to Lifeline, which is animal shelters and um, all kinds of other things. But also, I, I've done a practice since the pandemic. I go to the bank and I get tons of $5 and $10 bills. And it's also just wonderful um, to give people that $5 or $10 bills wherever you pass them, taking your groceries out. Um, somebody who comes to fix something at your house and say, hey, get a cup of coffee or I just want you to know how much I thank you. Go have some lunch on me. It's really uh, an amazing practice and it's a great way to live. Uh, and it's, you know, the post person came yesterday and I said, thank you so much for delivering my mail every day. You're just an angel, Beth. And gave her some money for lunch and just said, you know, I just want you to know how grateful I am. Do that. It doesn't have to be big amounts to big charities. Just do little things too. Watch it. it it's an amazing feeling. And last but not least is forgiveness. Happy people know forgiveness sets your soul free. A famous person said, living with resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to get sick or die. Living with resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to get sick or die. I, that's a huge thing is forgiveness. And to this day, Every time that I don't want to do it, because God knows these people that screw me or do this or that, but it is such a discipline that you must do it. And then the grace that follows that and the miracles that follow that are just unbelievable. So we talked a lot about happiness. I hope there's a little insight. Um, and, and again, please, uh, especially happiness versus pleasure and all the little touchstones we talked about. And please remember this, this is a saying I say all the time, true happiness, true happiness is found in the simple, the mundane, and the ordinary moments of your life. Like me sitting on the porch yesterday and a little bird deciding to land next to me.
and tears streamed down my face. Or I woke up this morning and my little Jack Russell's face was about an inch from mine and I could hear her tail the minute I opened my eyes banging on the bed. True happiness is found in the simple, the mundane and ordinary moments of your life. I looked at my husband's face as he woke up this morning and he's older, much older and wrinkled and I thought of all the years we've gone through together, our lifetime, and felt such joy and happiness, I can't tell you. It's found in the simple, the mundane, and the ordinary moments of our lives. So happiness, your happiness, can be discovered only when you stop and begin to listen to what's important to you, to what brings you passion, what makes you smile, what makes your heart sing. Okay, happiness is realizing how really, really short and tenuous life is, and that every experience in your life is mysteriously, very mysteriously designed to lead you deeper into your real self. You know true happiness when you bless others in the world with the gifts of your life. You've experienced true happiness. So, this is Kathleen Hall. This is the way I see it. We've been talking about how to create a happier brain today. We have a great newsletter, by the way. It's going out today. I hope you get it. It's got great tips. Also, please, if you have any ideas, want to talk, contact me at ourourmln.com. Go to the bottom and hit contact us. Write me or mindfullivingnetwork.com. And uh, again, hit contact and write me a note. And remember our tagline, Mindful Living Network. We are one people. We are one planet. And we have one future. It's our world. Let's hold our hearts and hands and heal ourselves and heal our world. God knows we need it. Please share us with your family, friends, and community. Let's do this together. Uh, we also have a great meditation room. I love it. It's got all kinds of medi different meditations. Little five-minute, three-minute things. You could go in and, and uh, hear the breeze on Mount Fuji, or you can be at a bubbling brook in the middle of the woods, or you can be on the oceanfront or in the middle of a snowstorm. Go to the meditation room. We've got all kinds of cool things. Also, our app is fabulous. Um, get our Mindful Living Network app and follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. So we're here trying to move forward and hold hands and hearts and keep us all together. Thank you for joining me today. Have a great day.